Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people about how they do their thing, how they make it happen, how they keep going, what they learn from all of it, why it matters, and sometimes crazy offshoot subjects like Chris Monroe's business card from Charlie's Angels, which we'll get to because my guest is Darcy Drollinger, the star, writer, director, and co-producer of the movie Shit and Champagne, a very funny drag exploitation movie that I first saw at Outfest during the summer and then uh, just rewatched it. It's now out on Blu-ray and available for streaming, and it is so funny. I'm not a stoner, but if I was, I would watch it, and I really wanted... I'd watch it high. I'm already watching it. Um, I really wanted to talk to Darcy about the movie and... and uh, how it all came together. So um, that's the interview. But before we get to that, I have some very exciting news to share uh, for those folks who have um, been listening to Dennis Anyone for a long time. Um, the Dennis Anyone podcast is joining forces with the Derek and Romaine um, Studios brand. So I'm going to be part of the DNR Studios lineup of shows. So what does that mean? Well, it means that you can listen to um, my show as part of that subscription to DNR Studios, but it also means you can listen to it as you normally would through your regular podcast app. So there are two ways to watch it. Um, if you love the way you're getting it now, you can just keep doing that, but uh, you can also become part of the DNR Studios um family and i'll explain how to do that at the end of the show uh and go into a little more detail about what this all means but it's very exciting it's very exciting it's a new frontier for me and for this podcast and i'm very excited about it and i will tell you all about uh how it works after the interview also i have a phone number for a voicemail so you can leave messages it's a whole new frontier and i'm very excited but first i want to treat you to this delightful interview that i just finished uh this is darcy drollinger the creator of the movie shit and champagne Joining me now via Zoom is the star, writer, director, and co-producer of the movie Shit and Champagne, Darcy Drollinger. Hello. Welcome to the Dennis Anyone podcast. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I have now seen your film three times. Um, I, I feel like that. I can quote certain lines. I watched it during the festival time a, a couple of times, maybe Outfest or Frameline. Thought it was so funny. And then when... Uh, when the opportunity to interview you came up, I, I watched it again, and um, it makes me laugh. And I wish I'm not a pothead, but if I were, this is what I would watch when I got high. So, congrats! Well, thank you. I love that you can watch it more than once and still keep laughing. So, how would you describe the movie to someone you just met when you said, "Hey, I made a movie, and this is what it's like"? I would say that it was like Quentin Tarantino and Mel Brooks got together and made a film um, produced by the Zucker brothers who did Airplane. <laughs> right on. All right. So it started as a stage production. Is that right? It is. You know, I, I've written a number of stage shows, both plays and musicals. And um, I had just come off of a, a big, intense production in L.A., uh, part of the stage to screen for L.A. Film Festival. And I wanted to write something that I didn't have to include anybody in the process. I could write the dumbest jokes I wanted to. And also something for me to... Um, to star in. So I mostly had been writing for other people. And so I, I went and sat on the beach for a couple of weeks and wrote, wrote shit and champagne. I love it. Um, this is just a silly question, but I'm curious. 
What are the pros and cons of having a swear word in your title? Is there <laughs> well, anyone that's like, we're going to have to put an asterisk in this? Or oh, what's no. The it, it has caused me so much grief from day one. I got to tell you. But, you know, at first it was going to be called Undercover Angel. That was right. my, my working title. That was and, a song in the 70s that was in the Pizza Hut jukebox at my house. It was recorded by Alan O'Day. And it felt sexy to me. It feels like sexy, a sexy song. One hit wonder. I love, I love that song. Right. Um, but yeah, it has been, I remember the f- first time we put it on, we'd hired a publicist and they were like, you have to change the name. And I just felt like kind of punk rock about it. So I, yeah. I pushed through and I just kept pushing through until we developed kind of a following. They called themselves the shitheads and they were showing up. And I, then at this point when we were making the film and people were still trying to get me to change the name i felt like i owed it the shitheads to not change the name you yeah, know you, you um, can't do that to the shitheads. a lot of it yeah well i think it's I pretty- can't do it to the shitheads like they've made me put an asterisk in you know on amazon prime um over the i and so you can only find it if you search S-H asterisk T. Oh. If enough people keep searching it, it'll come up, but it's definitely causing me a little bit of grief on the internet. Wow. You know what? And you can't mess with Amazon because they rule the world. you got to play. It's Bezos' world. We all just live in it. Um, the character of Champagne, your character, had you played her before or was this a whole new creation for this show? It was a whole new creation. I mean, I had played characters like her a little bit you know i played nola noonan in glamour glory and gold which is an old jackie curtis um play who was a tough talk and broad um but i had never you know, champagne was an original um when it came to this show now i'm um, i since did two other sequels of um, champagne stories which i'm going to bring to the screen as well but so she is someone who has now lived with me quite a bit so i i know her a lot but it took me you know i did this many years on stage to really get to learn learn miss miss white's character when you're creating a character like that what goes into finding the look did you try different hair did you try different outfits i'm like nope that's not right this is how she looks you know, she did sort of transform over time. Part of the transformation was just because I didn't have enough um, money and know-how to make her as fabulous as she finally became. Right. You know, I look back in the early in the early days. We did it at a strip club in in New York City before the strip strippers started. We we did the show there, and right. I. I look at it. I mean, she's still in her gold bikini and she's still got her blonde hair, but it was a, a, a much smaller version of everything. Yeah. She's had a glow up over, over, absolutely, over the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, your performance is delightful and the ensemble is delightful. And I think it's one thing to find funny, talented people to play opposite you, but they have to get it in a way that's very specific. It's a kind of airplane, naked gun kind of humor or like if we do this this amount of time, it's not funny anymore. But if we keep doing it, it gets funny again. It's that kind of stuff. How do you find those people? You know, I luckily enough, I've been doing enough stage work in San Francisco that I've developed sort of a um, a, a troupe that really gets what I call the Drollinger School of Acting, which is three is funny 
you know, 40 is hysterical. <laughs> That's your first lesson if you were to go to the Drollinger School of Acting. Yes, yes. Um, um, I mean, but it, it is it is one of those things. And, and that in that respect... That's where I think comedy gets dangerous, where, you know, you can push something, it's funny, and then you push it further, and then it's not funny anymore. But if you keep going just a little bit longer, it's hysterical, but there's that space in there. It's like a B. Arthur slow burn, where it's like, it's kind of not funny, and then it's really funny. Right. And you have to, as a performer, have the confidence to ride that discomfort during, when it's not funny and, and stay committed. It's scary. Um, it's scary. Yeah. You have great chemistry with De- Detective Hammer. You guys are very funny together. Um, talk about that actor and how you knew it was the right match for for Ch- uh, Champagne's love interest. Yeah, you know, Seton Brown, who plays that character, I love him because he is so honest in his, um, in his acting. He's very but, committed. He's earnest. He's yeah, in it. Yes, but also is funny and understands very much that, that like that new comedy comes from really um, not making fun of the character, but honestly doing the character. And I had worked with him in a number of um, productions that I wasn't in, and then we got to work together on stage doing doing this. And I didn't realize how much chemistry we would have. And it, working with someone like that is eating like feels like eating like a really great piece of chocolate cake, where it's just it's so delicious, and you never know exactly what's going to come out of it because there's there both both of us are there's so much room and expansion in those little tiny scenes together in in terms of the comedy and where it can go yeah Uh, another person in your ensemble tony the tiger i kind he's my 70s perfect boyfriend look i think he's so cute i think he's so cute so cute not those wide lapels and that kind of angels flight disco suit vibe it's just a sweet spot for me yeah, he's a he's a hunk, yeah. and and hilarious physical comedian, um, and works a lot also as a clown, um, you know, and is just he's got that physicality. He we we did some spoofs of Three's Company, and he played Jack Tripper, and he was the same way where he can just fall down and like like he's just got that physicality. And there is something so sexy about someone when they're so good at something, you know. Yeah, so, I like that he was Jack Tripper. Were you Chrissy? Or Janet? I was Chrissy Snow. There you go. <laughs> Did you do any ponytail acting? Oh my Did god, you... full side pony. Full <laughs> yeah, side yeah, pony. yeah. And culottes. I did get okay. a pair of culottes made. Yeah. And um, then did you leave halfway through the show and were replaced by <laughs> Priscilla Barnes? No? I know, right? I did not leave. I did not leave. But I can play a mean Suzanne Summers. I can. What's I play the a secret? Mean, I play a mean Betty White, too. We do the Golden Girls, and um, I, 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 I'm good at the blondes. I'm good at the blondes. Um, I saw that Golden Girls was on your resume, and I wanted to ask which character you played, and also because Betty just passed... We so, share the same birthday, actually. Not the same year. Don't right. <laughs> so what was it like playing Betty White? And I'm sure you were very moved when she, when she finally left us. Yes, that was a, a tough day. And I got lots and lots of condolence notes. Um, you know, I think that for me, Betty White is such an amazing actress because the same thing, there's so much honesty in her, um, in her acting and she can go from, you know, the, the kind of bitch to 
Nighttime Mars show, but give us the full innocent um, Rose Nyland. And, and that, that Rose character is so nuanced. It's a challenge to play because it, the, the humor is, is done so subtly. I kind of have to blow it up a little bit for stage, but um, it's uh, really fun, really fun role to get to play. I love it. So back to shit and champagne. I didn't say it with the asterisk. You notice I just said it Thank full you. on. I really appreciate you for that. There's a lot of physicality in this thing. You have fights, you have dances, you're running around. I made a short film that we shot over two weekends. And in one scene, I kind of had to run a little. The next day, I felt like I'd been hit by a truck. There is something so exhausting <laughs> about the adrenaline of performing or something. I, how, how beat up were you physically at the end? How exhausting was it? It was it was really exhausting. We did the entire movie in 20 days. Wow. And um, it was brutal, especially because, you know, I, I hadn't directed a feature film before and I had to start it at the same time. And so it was uh, it was rough and do it all in heels and a corset. What was the scene where you like, why did I write this once you had to do it? Where you're like, <laughs> this is brutal. What was I thinking? I mean, I think the chase scene where I had to like run up, up, up hill, San Francisco hills and high heels was pretty rough. When we did the whole, a lot of it got cut, but there's a huge, long, long fight scene that happened at the end with Dixie Stampede and myself. Right. That ended up being shrunk down into a, about two minutes, but it, it, you know, before I did that, it was an eight minute. We had, you know, staffs and, and high kicks and flying through the air and it just became too much. But we were doing this all in this basement that was under construction that the city had let us use. And it was everyone around us was having to wear um, masks on the, you know, pre pandemic masks on their faces because the so much the dust and the asbestos and we're all there in drag doing the fight scenes. It was pretty rough. Yeah. Now, Dixie, Dixie Sampede is your nemesis in the, the villain. And I think you need a good villain in a show like this, a movie like this. And that actor really delivers. Talk to me about um, that character and that actor. Matthew Martin is a gem. I remember when I was even 20 years old going to see Matthew Martin in a musical version of, of Baby, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, where he does an amazing Betty Davis. He's an amazing impersonator. And um, I, lucky enough, got to work with him on some other shows. And he plays actually Blanche when we do the Golden Girls. Um, he turned me down first when I originally asked him to be in, in the stage show. I think the name turned some people off. Sure. And, um, and I, you know, I had to do a lot of talking him into it. And he hadn't really played that kind of a villain before. And it was, uh, really so fun for him and he he's another one like on stage with him it feels very lucy and ethel in the sense that there's uh so much space for us to play yeah i love it he definitely you guys go toe-to-toe really well when people look at this kind of thing it looks easy because it's silly <laughs> and stupid but it's not easy right no, it's absolutely. It's a story of my life. It happens with the club, too. I, I, you know, people think because it's drag, because it's comedy, that somehow we're able to write this in 
a day and just throw it up and they don't realize the the mechanics of creating something like this and mechanics of creating that kind of comedy that it's very very technical and there's so much work put into it but it constantly gets considered as fluff and I think part of that's the drag aspect honestly um, first and foremost and then the comedy aspect is second but I think comedy is harder than drama and doing it all in drag is even harder than that um, there's a coffee drinking scene where you scoop coffee from a bottle that says Felchers. Um, it's a little side gag that I loved. Where did that end up, that bottle? <laughs> you know, you have I think, it. I think it is in, in our prop store. And I love that scene, too, because you just linger on that for so long. But I will say so many of our other um, pro- fake products got cut in this. There's I'm, someday I'll do a director's cut, but in the beginning scenes, there were cans of beers that said butt wiper instead of Budweiser looked just like it. Right. Notice the camel toe cigarettes at the beginning. And we had, we had vagina slime cigarettes later. It was really, there was some really juicy um, fake products in there that what, what ended up on the cutting room floor. I'm, I've got to use in, in the next film. Right. It's a funny, like recurring thing. Um, how did you come by your appreciation for these kind of movies? Do you remember watching this kind of stuff when you were a kid? I mean, I was so you know. In my when I break this movie down a little bit, it's like the first third is a is really focusing on sort of exploitation films, and and then it, it turns into almost the seventies um, female crime fighter television show, and then it ends with sort of a Mel Brooks Tarantino ending. But I, you know, I was such a huge Charlie's Angels fan and Bionic Woman and Wonder Woman; those were all such big inspirations for me. And and as a kid, and then when I I got older, I got really into the exploitation and the sexploitation films like, uh, you know, Foxy Brown and Coffee and Savage Streets with Linda Blair and those kinds of films. And so uh, those, I mean, I, those were my inspirations. I mean, I, I was, I really took a lot of the structure of this from Foxy Brown, the Pam Greer movie, um, in terms of, you know, it being, uh, you know, this crime organization and that they're, they're a modeling agency and they get the girls hooked on heroin and then, <clears throat> then they enlist them in as prostitutes, right? right? So that's sort of the the shtick. And I thought heroin wasn't going to be very funny. And I was actually reading in the Village Voice one day, and Michael Musto had a column about all the nightclubs and the, the the bathrooms were overflowing because people were doing booty bumps and shooting crystal mess up their butt, shitting their pants and flushing their underwear down the toilets. And I thought, well, that seems like a little bit more comical for a, a you know a drug addiction than just shooting heroin. Right. I fa- you found your little hook. Oh, so the <laughs> sewage problems would would happen because people would flush their underwear down. Yeah. Uh, uh, they're pooping their pants at the club. Yeah, not good. Not a good look. Um, I mean, yeah, a little which, different than what I went with, but, you know, conceptually the same. So it's Michael Musto's fault, really. Sure. What Charlie's Angels was your favorite? Sabrina. Really? I, I know that was the brainy one. I they know. They called her Brie. 
you know, I loved, I loved Brie. She reminded, I think it's because she sort of looked like my aunt. So I kind of, I mean, of ah. course I loved, I loved Farah. I had the, the poster sure. on my wall and I have a pretty big extensive Charlie's Angels collection, all the dolls and things like that. So it, I was, I was really a deep, deep fan of Charlie's Angels. Um, and so I think, you know, some of, some of the champagne undercover crime fighting definitely stems from my yeah. Charlie's Angels obsession. I think Cheryl Ladd is the most underrated of the Angels. She stayed a long time after she joined. She was there till the end after Farrah left. She did. And actually, my, my, best, my best Charlie's Angels paraphernalia is a business card that is from the show. It says the Townsend Agency, Chris Monroe, and I got Cheryl to sign it. Where did you get that from? Her daughter, Jordan Ladd, got it for me. And wow. I had met her on a film shoot because the person who was doing the hair and makeup knew her and, and we hit it off and I told her how obsessed I was. And the next day she came back with the, the card for me. How are the fonts? I, <laughs> I'm a font. I'm a bit of a font snob. Oh, my God. I, I wish I knew exactly. I'm not sure exactly where it is. I'd, I'd show you. But I'll, if you I'll think of it later, send it to you. email me and I'll post it with this podcast and I can use okay. it on social media because people will want to see that business card. I will. I um, will. In, a, in a show like this, a movie like this, um, is there much improv? Or do you guys kind of know from doing it on stage and, and stuff like that? It was so much improv. You know, we, uh, we, when we do this, we did this show four different times and it's very much uh, interactive. I call it sort of vaudeville 2.0 where we're really working with the audience and which, you know, did make me a little nervous because, you know, we know where the laughs are. I, I learned where I thought the laughs were, but like putting it in the film, like how long of a space do you leave for people? And what if they don't laugh? Right. And all that kind of stuff. I think a lot of the improv really came out on um, on stage. So we, we, we understood what we were doing. I, you know, there was obviously a lot of fun on set, but because we were trying to film it in such a short amount of time, I I think we went for what we had learned on stage. Right. For the most part. I mean, yes, there's a there's a few moments that that came to life, obviously. And I had not worked like Alaska, who has a little cameo. Um, I hadn't worked with her before. And there's a Alaska really Thunderfuck, very delightful. Yes. So I mean, oh my god, I love working with her. And, and actually, there's a whole other scene with her that got cut, which again, director's cut someday. But that morning, I I made up that really really ridiculous long name. That I was that I'm trying to say is my name as I'm trying to be undercover and and she had to learn it right then in real time and it, like steel trap like she got it the first take I was I was amazed it was it's a very hard thing to say because it has no rhyme or reason and I was like how did she memorize that and just like really quick right apparently the answer is she has a special gift really smart yeah. really smart person. Um, my L.A. friends here all know Mario Diaz, who was great to see in your movie. Very sexy. Totally looks great in 70s wear. Um, how did you come to know Mario? You know, I met Mario when we were both very young. Um, I used to work in this clothing store on Hate Street um, in the, uh, God, was it the 80s? Um, uh, and uh, he was a little 
he was a little young kid with a pierced pierced eyebrow coming from Seattle and would come and hang out with me and talk with talk to me in the store and we just became friends and over time we've he's been in a number of my my stage shows and we I own a club in San Francisco and he brings his parties to to me here and we've just stayed very close I love working with him and again he really gets my sense of humor and gets my gets my style of acting you were like his Annie Potts in Pretty in Pink to his Molly Ringwald coming into the store, right? Yes, Teaching him about the world. <laughs> I never uh, thought about that, but yes. It just occurred to me. But um, So you, you own a club called Oasis. How long have you had this club? I've had it for seven years, which has been kind of crazy in the last couple of years dealing with the pandemic. But How has it been it to is have a club? How have you hung in? You know, we almost lost it, and I got so very, very deeply in debt trying to keep it going and trying to keep my staff sort of afloat during the sure. whole time. And, and so out of necessity, we did a 12-hour old-school telethon where um, we streamed live for 12 hours. We had live performances. People sent in videos. I had everyone from the John Cameron Mitchell to Cindy Wilson from the B-52s, Jane Wheatland from the Go-Go's, plus a bunch of, you know, um, great, great performers that have performed many times, Varla G. Mernon, Dina Martina. Alaska. And we also had a phone bank of drag queens where you could actually call just like the old telethons and phone drivers. You could talk to a drag queen. And right. we raised a quarter of a million dollars in 12 hours and saved ourselves. And it was amazing. That's a movie in itself. Like, it let's was. put on a show and save the club. And we That's did amazing. it. amazing. I did. love it. Do you like owning a club? What's awesome about it? I have a I have love hate relationship. It's amazing. I have the largest dra- drag club and drag owned club in the U.S. It's I mean it's six thousand square feet. We've got three spaces. I have put in so much blood, sweat, and tears and money to elevate the art of drag. Um, we've, we've got a beautiful stage, a baby grand piano, a video wall. Like really, I I'm working to. To, to, like I said, elevate the art of drag. It is, you know, it comes with all of its, there's, you know, being a business, small business owner is incredibly challenging when all I want to do is work on the next movie. Right. There's all the nuts and bolts. I've got a great team, but it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. But I get to watch some amazing, amazing stuff come to life. And it's a, a great home. I just sat there watching Dina Martina was just in town. And I, I was so happy to be able to have this space for people to go see these touring um, cabaret artists. And then it becomes a, a, you know, a nightclub at night after, after the cabaret. So it's sort of a hybrid space. And it's been a great way for me to try out new material um, where, you know, I always before this, the biggest struggle was to find a space to, to workshop or put on shows. What was the longest you went without being able to perform there? And what was it like when you got to go back? What was that first show like? The very first party was amazing. It was electric. It was, uh, you know, I, I can't say it. It felt like the whole community made it. You know, I think that our success really was the success of of the San Francisco arts community in a lot of ways. So it felt amazing. You know, and the very first show we ever did there was Shit and Champagne. So um, just to, it, it was when we were still, it was... 
it was the the place was in shambles. We had so much work to do to get it ready, and it was freezing and wet and dirty. And we were there rehearsing for those first um, for those first few performances back in 2014. So it uh, it's come a long way. Now, did you get to have a big splashy premiere for the San Francisco Shitheads, or did COVID kind of uh, make that harder? COVID made it terribly hard. And, you know, it was one of those things like, do we wait? Do right. we wait it out? And, and, and I just, I was going crazy because it was already, it, it was taking so long and I've so, you know, so much more I want to do. So I, we pushed through and Frameline um, had it in the middle of the pandemic. And we, we did it at a drive-in theater in Concord and 3,000 people came, and it was obviously not the, you know, watching it in a drive-in, listening to it on your car radio is not the best way to see it. But, uh, you know, it, a drive-in movie of Shit and Champagne with so many people, and the first time any of them, any of them had, had actually been with each other in so long, it, it felt like gay pride, you know? Right. So, I love that. How how does 3,000 people watch a drive? How was there room for that many people? Three screens. It's a huge drive-in. Oh, wow. I love yeah. a multi-screen. Yeah. And, and this put, is kind of a drive-in movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was great. And yeah. then I got to do another premiere. That was a festival premiere. And when the film came out, we did a premiere at the Castro Theater, which was also sort of a dream come true, which is a beautiful 1,400-seat theater in the Castro in San Francisco. It's the best. I've had um, projects play there, and it's just so historical. It's special. I love it. And the audiences yeah. are really into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it was it was fantastic. It was yeah. a it was a great it was a, a great way to celebrate the the release finally after all these years. I love it. You have a Nomi Malone moment in the film, maybe multiple, but one that I caught um from Showgirls, um, where you lick the pole. You pull a you know? Nomi. I pulled a Nomi. I I am obsessed with showgirls. I I wrote a, a another musical that someday maybe I'll make into a film called Above and Beyond the Valley of the Ultra Showgirls, which was sort of like Russ Meyer meets Paul Verhoeven. Right. Um, but I, you know, I'm yes, I'm a big, huge showgirls fan. Yeah, I love it. Um, how hard was this movie to get made? Was it Down and Dirty Gorilla? I know you got some grants, right? Uh, yes, I, you know, I worked hard and again, I got grants, even though the people giving me the grants were like, it's next to impossible to make a movie based on a stage show. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm, and I, I, I just, I kept, I kept going, but then they kept giving me money. So I got a, I got a lot of help from, um, SF film and they have been real champions of of this film. So I, I feel very, very lucky um, about that. And, and the rest of the money, either I, I raised myself and put in, I did a, a crowdfunding, and I also have some brave investors that <laughs> trusted, trusted a movie um, with a title that you can't say on television. I, what was your most random reward for your, in, uh, your crowdfunders? Um, a dinner with me. There you go. As champagne. I guess that would be the most random reward. I was going to get custom toilet paper made, but that never happened. But it was That's on, all right. 
That's all right. So you you went to dinner with champagne with people. I love it. I did. I did do yeah. that three times. Champagne had to go out three times for dinner, but you know, she'll anything for a buck. That girl. One of my favorite recurring themes is when she's incognito in quotes and she'll tell the camera it's me champagne <laughs> i think that's so funny that she feels the need to let us know because the costume is just going to be too hard to to decipher right. her well you know you can't recognize someone when they're wearing a wig no yeah. it's true or, it's or, true or well, glasses or their hair up in a bun. Yeah. You know, that was always, I was always fascinated with Wonder Woman where Diana Prince literally just had <laughs> glasses and a hair in a bun and you could not tell it was Wonder Woman. Well, even dumb things like that still happen in movies. Like I just saw Scream and there's multiple murderers of different heights, but whenever you see them, they're six feet. Like it, it, it's just like, okay, we're going to just go with that, I guess. Um, you I'll tell did... you something. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, please. I was going to say something funny like that happened in the movie. I, I was trying to do an ironically bad body double moment. I, I wanted to then have another dancer come in and, and do the, the hard dancing. And I, I cast the smallest woman I could find. That's right. about four foot eight. But my film crew you know, trying really hard to make it look legit and and not look that way, film the whole thing up, trying to make her look as big as possible. Like right. somehow I didn't understand that I didn't understand that I had hired this tiny woman to be my body double, but it was um it was pretty funny. Do we cool. see it in the film? Is is she in the film? Did oh, yeah, make, yeah, yeah. In in the dance scene in the alley. Yeah. Um she's the one that does the cartwheel and the splits. But love it. Um, we see Champagne's breasts, and they are spectacular. <laughs> How do you find them? Where do you go to get you know, the best um, boobs? <laughs> Those well, are the kind of boobs that when you were a kid, you would see in movies and think, if I were into boobs, I would be really into those boobs. Those boobs are on the chest of April Kidwell, who has... <laughs> I think the perfect boobs. Now I was, I am friends with her now, is but she I, an actor? she is an actor and she was the star of showgirls, the musical. She does an amazing know me. I've seen and clips of that. And I thought this is hilarious. She did it both in New York and out here in San Francisco. Yeah. And she's topless in half the show, and she does a lot of boob acting. And she did an amazing show at the, my club called I Know Me, which was bait like I, Tanya. Yeah. It, it was Nomi's story. I and love it. Was it. Brilliant. She is yeah. an amazing, amazing yeah. actress. And she's got amazing boobs. And that is her, yeah. her merkin. We did a, put a merkin on her for the crotch shot. Too. And that is the shot where your title card appears. Was that a tough choice to go, I'm going to go with the Merkin shot for written and directed by, right? You know, I, you know it was, no, I was dreaming of that shot. And, and I will say, I was deeply inspired. I'm not saying I stole it. I was deeply inspired <laughs> yes. by a scene in a Russ Meyer movie where Kit Natavadad has her bush backlit. And it's, you know, so, so brilliant. I'm like, I have to recreate this. Yeah. There's nothing like a backlit bush, I don't think. <laughs> um, I read in your bio that you did a Sex in the City parody. Who were you? Well, I play Samantha Jones. Sam Interesting. Honey, please. Yes. Um, no, I, I, I actually I love playing Samantha. Um, is, uh, yes, I guess I guess I play all the blondes, and a little bit of a little bit of Samantha comes out in Champagne now and then. But 
I could see that. Um, have you watched And Just Like That, the the spinoff? I have. And we really miss Samantha. We do. And, you know, I'm, I've actually filmed some scenes where I'm just, as Samantha, I'm putting myself into the series. Please, when yeah. is that going to happen? What's happening with that? <laughs> I really want to go, go down this rabbit hole with you so bad, <laughs> but we don't have to. But just give me a little. Um, you know, I mean, right now I just I, I just did the first, first scene of the first episode where she goes to, to brunch with them. Right. And if it looks good, I'll, I'll do more because I feel like it's I mean, I'm just, it makes me crazy the way they dealt with her leaving. Like somehow Carrie couldn't afford her anymore, even though Carrie is like a multimillionaire now because um, she has three apartments in Manhattan and so on and so forth. But like. Samantha would just like drop them all as friends and have to leave town because Carrie couldn't use her anymore. Makes me insane. It's so dumb. Um, but that, the, the show is so weird to me. It is so weird. And everyone's gotten dumber on it. Like all those women, like Miranda would not be like not able to talk to her, her law professor who has braids, you know, yeah. all these weird like Karen-y stuff it's like these these women used to be smarter and you'd think they would have gotten smarter rather than dumber as time goes on and they're all inconsiderate oh i find God. them inconsiderate to each other and i was like don't as we get older aren't we a little more kind aren't we a little more sensitive and i get it it's drama but they're all fucking rude to each other and what made me so crazy is it spoiler alert like <laughs> Carrie has had so many affairs, uh, both uh, with big, on Big, with Big, on Aiden, and then she is so shaming of Miranda for getting fingered right. by, uh, by the non-binary woman. And it's like, oh, my God, how dare you? Also, they're all really rich right, at this point. Like Before they were young women living in, like, they, go, they just got their first own apartment and and now they've all got multi-million dollar, these huge places in Manhattan. Like I said, Carrie's got three apartments. Like it's just, they're unrelatable. They're gross rich. They were always okay. Yeah. And it was always sort of aspirational and a bit of a fantasy. But now they're sort of 1% gross rich. I'm hating and, and Yeah, it's so, I find it so curious. I'm fascinated. <laughs> and, and who is the demographic that they think wants to watch it. Like, it's an interesting, I guess it's obviously the people that love sex in the city and grew up on that. But so many of us are like, what did you do? Like, what is this? And like, oh my God, Carrie just holding big while he's having a heart attack instead of calling 911. <laughs> like, oh honey, I'm going to let you die so I can have everything. It's just, oh. I also, um, I'm kind of a fan of Che. I don't hate Che. I like that character. And I think that that's, I, I don't think- either. I think that um, the actor, the the performer, is great. Um, I do too, and I and I, actually, and I do like the like. There's some great sexy scenes, like that first uh, blowing the smoke. Yes, in the like those are. There are some moments yeah. that are still good, and yeah. I just, I you know, I just feel like I, I just wish those the women weren't dumbed down. Yeah, I and also also what's the, the gay best friend. Like he just assholes. Yeah. And they really, that Stanford, they really, if you thought they were not nice to Samantha, they really took a shit on uh, poor Stanford. And he Um, can't do himself now. Two thoughts and I'll move on from this topic. One, it's the weirdest thing on television. Two, I hope they keep making it because I just (laughs) love, I love the watching of it. I wouldn't call it hate watching. It's more like head scratchy watchy. 
Um, yeah. Anyway, it is, it is a it's a it's a very it's a very yeah. weird show, and and I hope that it's you know I, again I agree with you to some extent, but I feel like they're the you know they're kind of soiling the show. Like, you know, you, you can still look at the old show and be like, yes, that, those were some amazing moments in breakthrough television. But I feel like the legacy is getting a little bit tarnished by this. For and, sure. I agree. I agree. Oh, God. It, 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 makes, it makes me crazy. Though, I, you know, I would love it. it would, I think it would have been so much more exciting if they'd hired a drag queen to play Samantha Jones. Because just Kim wouldn't do it. I, I would have been there in a heartbeat. As a, as a club owner, what have you learned about the way drag has evolved in our culture. It, it seems more mainstream in a way. What have you observed? So I, I, I love it and hate it. It's a double-edged sword. Like, I love that it is mainstream. I love that it's acceptable now. I love that there's access to so much. I mean, I remember when I was very first starting out, like, you couldn't find size 12 high heels. You couldn't find fabulous makeup and, and eyelashes that were already pre-shaped and curled for you and lace front wigs that you can buy for $40. Like, none of that existed. The internet didn't exist. All of this stuff is is at your fingertips now so it's an amazing amazing for that it's amazing that people accept it the flip side is everyone's a freaking drag queen like there's like so many drag queens and so many of them that that you know they learn how to paint their face and that's about it and they don't have you know they don't have what you had to, the moxie that you used to have have to have to have a career doing it and i also feel like because so much of how the world's been introduced to drag are these competitions where they yeah. push the people to be cunty to each other and not and it's, it's this competition and they, they don't realize that actually that's not how it is these drag queens are actually there for each other they're working together to entertain other people and they're not fighting backstage they're not it, drag is not a competition by nature but it's been how people are seeing drag and and because of that, I feel like that, that that young drag queens then feel like it is a competition and they don't realize that, no, it's not. That so, part of their job is to be catty and that, right. that that's part of the gig, but it's not. It's no, not part of the job description. It isn't, not at all. And yeah. you, and so, you know, I, I think that is the part where I feel like people need to have sort of, I do these, over the pandemic, I did these drag history things for different companies and really it's so interesting to hear the questions that people ask you and it informs you really to understand what the perception of drag is in today's culture. That's very interesting. I've got a couple of questions from the observation deck that you picked. Um, you picked this one. What's uh, what song lyric did you discover you'd been singing wrong for years? Well, <laughs> you know, it was, um, you know, I, I discovered it when I was pretty young still, but I thought in hotel California, it was a pair of pelagics rising up through the air. What is it really? Uh, um, the smell of colitis, oh. like a cactus. Oh, you thought it was paraplegics yeah. rising up through the air. Yeah. Yeah, you know yeah, what? As a child, that could happen at Hotel California. A lot of weird <laughs> things happen there. Um, but how are you supposed to know collegius or whatever it is? I know, I know. Yeah. It was not fair to do to a you know. Yes, no. Yes. And uh, another uh, another question you picked was when you were growing up. 
What's something that someone else had that made you green with envy? Well, I mean, it, again, this was a misconception on my part. I had a right. friend who was a compulsive liar, but he played me a cassette tape of Captain and Tennille singing Love Will Keep Us Together. And he said they came over the night before and recorded that in his house. <laughs> and I was Oh, my so- God. Jealous, and I believed him for years. For years. I would be like, well, you know, I think I was probably seven when he told right. me that, and I think I believed him until I was nine, telling people that my friends know Captain and Tennille. But that song, when it dropped, was like the single biggest ball of sunshine to hit America. Like, it it, it's just like the heel for Watergate. and Like, it was just... Like infection, yeah. like it was just delicious. It was, and it was all of that. It was laying by the beach. It's the fern bar. It's yes. the yacht rock. It was everything. It was. It was. They were such a, such a such a duo of the seventies. And they had been at your friend's house recording that song. <laughs> <laughs> I am furious for you. I am really. I it was uh, really maddening when I, I love that. Me. Yeah. All right. Before we wrap it up, tell people how they can watch Shit and Champagne. Well, you can stream it on Amazon Prime or on Apple TV, or you can buy the Blu-ray DVD from, um, actually, that's on Amazon, too. And here's the thing. we um, On that, you have, I, I do commentary for the whole thing, and you Love can it. get some of the deleted scenes. And we're about to release the album on iTunes and on Spotify. There's great music in there. Some of it sounded so 70s that I wondered if they just pulled it or if they did, if they, if they had a composer that made this, the music sound that like that. What's the story with the music? So it is a combination. I had a, a composer, a friend of mine, Steve Bollinger, did all the original music for it. Um, and he's he's amazing. Um, and a lot of the instrumental music, um, I found old television um, yes. instrumental music from uh, KPM and APM and was able to license the music for for the film. So it does really get that legit old school feel. And of course, I had to use the Ritchie family's disco single, Lady Champagne. Of um, course. Which, which um, it sounds like I made the movie based on that when you listen to the lyrics, but I found it, you know, six years after we had done the stage show and uh, it fit just so perfectly. Did you get a decent deal on it? Because I'm sure that if they knew how <clears throat> important it was, they might have tried to, you know, you check know, that price up. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, we, that was probably the most expensive thing in the movie, yeah. but it was yeah. something that I was like, we we have to have it. And then we're re-recording it. Um, Steve is re-recording it for the iTunes release, so All we'll right. have a we'll have a, a a more modern, slightly modern cover version of it. But it's um, it's a great song. And I love that you started with that feature presentation thing that you see in front of old movies. They show it at the New Beverly uh, here in L.A. That's that da 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 da. da. That's which like is, sex in a van to me. That represents is, like K- sex in a van. It's KPM Music. That's the same the company that distributed a lot of music I used in the um, in the film. And I, you know, I put that on there because I really wanted people to know exactly what they were going to see yeah. from the moment it started. It's so smart. 
Um, I was looking at your resume and the things that you've done, and my question is, what's wrong with L.A.? You seem like you don't come... Do you do stuff in L.A.? Like, um, we're, we're hurt, right? We feel left <laughs> out. Um, I feel like, are we not good enough? Are we not pretty enough? What's your deal with L.A.? Uh, you know, I would love to do more in L.A. Honestly, right. I would yeah, bring me to L.A. Okay, I, good. You know, I mean, I would love to... Um, you know, I, I've I've only I've done one show in LA at the Zephyr Theater, um, 2013. That what was, was your that show. Was, it's called The Possession of Mrs. Jones. Right on the musical, um, and uh, I mean that was really that was really great. Charles Herman Wormfeld directed it, and it was a lot of fun. But I, I, I would love to do more stuff. I've got lots of friends down there, and I, I, you know, if it's not live stuff, I would love to. You know, I, I you know I, I I feel like Chit and Champagne is a, very much an event movie, and it feels a little bit Rocky Horror-ish, at least when we do right. the show with people really yelling call and response to the film. And I think that's something that would be really fun to do down in Los Angeles and film it with a. You know, when we we were there for Outfest and we did a pre-show with strippers and Debbie, who was in it, pre, was part of the pre-show doing some lackluster stripping and lap dancing for the audience. And so she's another character that I love, like this just half-assed, nonchalant, couldn't give a shit stripper, just so committed and so funny. Everything in the, she's in. In the live show, she's she's sort of the Greek chorus, and because we didn't really have much of a set, she would come on and almost like a, a ring girl in the boxing ring. She'd hold up a sign to tell you where you were, and she'd do a whole pre-show. She was very much she was sort of like I said, the Greek chorus and and instrumental to so much. And again, I had filmed so much with her that that kind of had to get left on the cutting room floor. So as I'm working on the new one, which is called The Temple of Poon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> With champagne? Is champagne in it? Champagne White and The Temple of Poon. Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, it, this one, she ends up getting framed for murder. She goes to prison and has to break out and, and you know, res- find the man who 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 blackmailed her or, or um, put her in prison yeah she's got to get get revenge um yeah. are you going to do that on stage before you film it again or is uh are you just going to try to make the movie you know i think i'm just gonna make the movie yeah why not um, i i am feeling um I'm feeling like there are a lot of movies to make and not a lot of time. And I might, I was, I've been inspired by a couple of things recently. Have you ever watched, seen Garth Marenghi's Dark Place? No, I haven't heard of that. You must watch it. It's from some of the people that that did um, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, right on. Brilliant. It's on Amazon Prime. Watch it. There's only six episodes. It's genius. But like... Very high, high concept, low budget. And um, also, I just saw a spy movie. Yes. Which, um, again, inspirational of like, you know. What you what can you do can with do. a little moxie and some funny I friends. Know, I know. Yeah. My um, previous so, guest. Yeah. Yes. I know that. Thank I know you that. for the shout out. Um, um, she's great. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I feel like it may be a little more low budget. This one, this one, while it was still very low budget, was 
a lot of money for me to uh, pull together. And I, while I would love this next one to be as glamorous, I also um, I feel like when you're sending up those low-budget exploitation films, there's a lot of room to... Um, exploit the low budgetness as part of the comedy. So I think this one might, um, you know, do, do that a bit more. I love it. Well, congrats on the movie, making it happen. Here's my final question. What did you learn making this movie with the journey of shit and champagne, either about yourself or about the world or about creativity, about making movies? <clears throat> There's a million paths there to get where you want to go. So, you know, I, I thought that there was some golden, golden recipe to making the film. And, and while there's a lot of stuff that you learn that you need to do, there's also a lot of, a lot of ways to make it happen. So sort of keeping the, the novice mind rather than the expert mind when you're trying to solve things on a budget. Um, you know, I also for for someone who's done mostly stage work, it's amazing to have done something so many years ago, and just now people are seeing it for the first time, and it can reach so many more people. So it really inspired me to um, focus more on film. Yeah, the reach of it, I love yeah. it. It was great talking to you. I'm going to go and think about that Captain and Tennille tape and uh, process all the feelings around it. There's a lot of feelings around it. It feels like. <laughs> That feels I, like I'm, the I'm ultimate so thing. Like, how do you even get over it? How do you ever get, how can you ever get over that? How do you get over it? Well, you know, I can't, I, 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 I don't speak to Chris Worthman anymore. That was the kid who did that to me. But yeah. some, I, I did try and find him on Facebook. Yeah. But they couldn't. So he knows what he did. He knows what he did. <laughs> I know. I know. Right. Um, I will also send you my Cheryl Ladd business card. Yes. The Cheryl Ladd business card. Oh my God. Something you to look it, for. Thank you so much for, um, for caring about yeah. it. <laughs> it is obviously I've, I've worked for so many years on this specific from the show to the movie. So it's uh, got, it's, it's really part of me. So it means a lot to me. Thank you. It was okay. so much fun talking to you, Darcy. Good luck with everything. And I hope our paths cross in person sometime soon. I, I would love that. Thank you so much for having me on. Yay. Thanks again to Darcy Drollinger. Check out the movie Shit and Champagne. Okay, so this happened. I am becoming part of the Derek and Romaine podcast family through DNR Studios. Yay! That's so exciting. I'm so thrilled. I've known these guys for years. And um, I, I met Derek in the 90s at a drive-in movie screening of the movie The Crow, starring the late, great Brandon Lee. And I remember... Just hitting it off with him, laughing, talking about entertainment and movies and show business and gossip. And we've been friends ever since. And I remember when he got the uh, Derek and Romaine show on Sirius XM with Romaine Patterson. I did their show a ton back in the Sirius XM days. I guest hosted sometimes. So I've been um, tight with these two for a long time. Both of them have been guests on the Dennis Anyone podcast. So uh, a few years ago, they broke away from Sirius XM. They started their own company, and they brought all of their fans with them. They've been hosting their shows um, ever since, like their regular show, but then also growing their brand with other shows. And part of that is bringing in other creators and podcasts 
to be part of their DNR Studios brand. And what that means is you can purchase a subscription to the DNR Studios brand and you get their show plus all of these other shows and I am included in that. Um, if you already are uh, subscribe on iTunes for free to my show, you can just keep doing that. But if you want to support the show and check out this other service with all these awesome shows, you can go to dnrstudios.com and you can subscribe. And when you subscribe, they'll ask you, what show do you listen to the most? And you'll say, Dennis, I need one with Dennis Hensley. And I will make a little money from that. So that's how that works. Um, you don't have to do that to, to get Dennis anyone, but you can do that if you feel like it. And you'll be treated to a lot of other great uh, shows on the network. Uh, people like Adam Sank and uh, Tom Goss is doing a, a show on there. So it's a cool thing. It's a cool to be part of uh, family. They really got their shit together. And I love talking to Romaine about like technical stuff because she knows all that stuff really well. Like, hey, this is the mic I've been using. What do you think? Um, so maybe it'll sound better. I don't know. I'm not making any promises. I'm not getting crazy. But that is a possibility. And it's it's just fun to be part of um, this, this family. And their listeners have been such big supporters of mine. A lot of them have listened to Dennis Anyone, but when I came out with You Don't Know My Life, the Derek and Romaine listeners were the ones that pre-ordered that game and really put us over the top and helped us reach our goal to get the things produced. So anyway, I have a, a big soft spot for the whole Derek and Romaine uh, brand and family, and I'm happy to be part of it. Uh, maybe we'll go on a cruise soon with them. They do cruises. I mean, the sky's the limit, people. Um, so, but if you just like things the way they are, they probably won't change that much. Um, I'll still be doing these crazy interviews and asking my crazy questions. But here's something else that's exciting. I've been given a voicemail number. So if you want to leave a voicemail for me about the show, a comment, a question, anything like that, uh, there's a number for that. I will, I will read it in a second. But I'm also going to be asking listeners to contribute their own observation deck question answers. So you can leave them on the voicemail. So, for example, uh, Darcy just answered two questions. What's a song lyric you've been getting wrong for years? And what's something somebody else had when you were growing up that made you green with envy? Uh, if you have a funny story or an answer about either of those, you can leave them on my voicemail and I may play them on a future show. And this is the voicemail number. Are you ready? Are you all? Stop the car. Get out a pen. Uh, the number is one 647 9653 1-888-647-9653. That's the first time I've ever said it aloud like an announcer person. So there you go. Anyway, dnrstudios.com. And there's also an app available for uh, iOS. There's not an app on the Android yet, but they're working on it. They've really got it together. Um, they're going to take over the world, and I'm happy to be a part of it and go along for the ride. So check that out at dnrstudios.com. And again, I'm also on dennishensley.com, and uh, the, the podcast will pop up in your feed as usual if that's the way you like to get it. If that's the way, uh-huh, uh-huh, you like it, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, uh, that's it for this episode of Dennis Anyone. We'll catch you next time. Bye! Bye!